You're listening to Interviews, the podcast that cracks the entrepreneurship code. I'm your host, Laurent Autain. I'm an entrepreneur, coach to entrepreneurs, and startup mentor with more than 20 years' experience running companies and advising entrepreneurs. Being an entrepreneur is the most difficult job there is. There are no practical guidelines. So join me every week and learn how you can better navigate your entrepreneurship journey and become an exceptional entrepreneur. This is episode 128 with Brett Martin, co-founder and investor at Charge Ventures. Brett defines himself as an entrepreneur, angel investor, pragmatist, and optimist. Having spent most of his career in the startup trenches, he now focusing on, focuses on supporting other entrepreneurs as managing partner of a small seed stage venture fund, Charge Ventures. They invest 200 to 500K at the earliest stages of company formation and then help founders take things from zero to one. Brett is also the co-founder of Kumo Space, the world's most immersive video chat platform. And in addition, because it's never enough, you know, Brett is an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School where he teaches product strategy and entrepreneurial finance. Hi, Brett. Thank you very much for joining me. Howdy, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. I think episode one, 128 is going to be a, a really great one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Challenge accepted. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. I'm from Ocean City, Maryland. It's a it's a small mid-Atlantic uh, beach town in, mm-hmm. in the United States. And I got my entrepreneurial uh journey kicked off selling seashells by the seashore with my sister and uh you know we used to take um you know buy shells for uh, from local fishermen uh for two dollars a bushel scrub them up clean them up and then sell them for two dollars a piece to to tourists which was a, a a fine markup and uh you know uh, we did really well until uh, I, my parents caught me paying my sister hourly and uh, came in and, re- and regulated the, the profits out of the business. So we, we just split it. You know, uh, I, I don't know, maybe 12. <laughs> so that was, it was good. It was a good lesson, good lesson in ethics and uh, re- regulation. But, you know, ever since then, I've either been building or um, investing in, in, in startups. So, you know, mm. came out of school and went to New York and other than a, a brief two-year tour and the investment bank. It's just been, uh, you know, playing with tech ever since. And so today, you know, well, how would you define yourself? Like a, a VC, an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur VC? Like, honestly, you know, I think if I had to say I had to building things is probably my, um, it's, it's a much more nat- natural, natural mode. Um, but, you know, the VC is, is kind of the best job in the world, right? People give you a, pile of money you sit on top of it you meet a bunch of really interesting founders who are really passionate and you know do putting in 120 percent and and then you pick a few that you really like and you give them money and then you hopefully get rich together i mean it's a it's, it's kind of a, a a dream job um uh you know i particularly like it at the really early stage when it's really unclear who's who's gonna you know be successful and, you know, what's going to win and, you know, working with people to to turn sort of just an idea into a reality. It's, it's, it's really fun and a fortunate job. When, when did you, uh, when did you start Charge Ventures? 
Well, it's, I guess almost uh, eight years ago now. Years ago. Um, so we were in our third fund and um, we started actually my Fulbright advisor, uh, which is like a U.S. government funded research grant. I, you know, I had I'd gone to Italy. Um, I quit the investment bank and then I lived in a sailboat for a while. And then we did a band for the summer. And then I, I went to Italy and lived in Milan and did research um, on startups and my Fulbright advisor from then, he reached back out to me years later and basically um, said, hey, we've got a couple of these kind of like large billion dollar family offices in Southern Europe that were investing um, willy nilly off you know, off balance sheet into you know, trying to find, you know, early stage tech startups in the U.S. to invest in. And they said, well, OK, maybe we should professionalize this. And so I went over there to to Greece thinking I was going to be a um it's going to be a summer project. And then here I am eight years later on the third month. It's, it's funny how life works. Yeah. So uh, it's not every day that I talk to a VC. So we're going to talk about it a bit about that for all the startups funders out there. How many decks do you receive a year? Thousands. What does it mean? Do you, do you have time to read all of them? Look, I, I definitely try to scan all the, e scan all the emails. Um, and, you know, if someone sends me a truly personalized email, mm. you know, not just taking their template and slapping my my name on it, or, you know, if, if they do some, you know, research about why, you know, I might like the deal that they're pitching or it might be a fit for charge, then, I, you know, I will at least try to read it. And, and often with those, you know, I definitely try to get back. Um, however, if, you know, I'm just getting something as part of a, a mass BCC, I, I don't feel a strong obligation to respond personally. Okay. So start by the, with the basic, you're saying <laughs> write a proper email that is a personalized, a personalized email, but then, then how do you make your selection? Selection, it has many layers. I mean, the first one is like, you know, do you open the email from the subject line? The second mm -hmm. is, you know, do you, do you, do you read it? And then finally, you know, do you, do you, do you respond and then you know do you open up the deck and then do you take a meeting um well i'll talk about the two sides of it i mean the, the short answer what is that what folks probably know which is you know if you come in through someone i know and trust and trust their taste in businesses then i'm gonna i'm gonna look at it even if it's not something that i net like off the um cuff under even if it's something that I you know, didn't make sense initially, right? Yeah. I, if you know, if you sent me something and said, "Brett, this is amazing. I really trust these guys." Like, I would take a look at it and I would have a call with them. Um, it, you know, that's the shortcut. And if if you don't have that connection, uh, what the best thing to do would be find that connection. <laughs> you know, look for the mutual connections and then and then reach out. But you know, you'd be surprised how hard it is to you know i think steve jobs is the one that's often quoted for saying how hard it is to build something that's really simple and clean and i think a pitch is the same way if you can summarize why what you're building is valuable in a few sentences and why you have a unique take and especially to do it then then you're probably on your way to raising money yeah it's, i've seen i've seen a lot of decks not myself which are very uh <laughs> generic I would say, but it's always so difficult to get out of your, uh, you know, out of your product, 
always always so difficult. I see so many startups making always the same mistake. Like they have difficulty to talk about their customers, what's in it but for them, what's what are the benefits for them. And I guess you must see the the same the, the same thing with you. It's like what's what's in it for you as an investor, right? Yeah, I mean maybe the other thing that I don't feel often gets talked about a lot yeah. is that um people a lot of entrepreneurs and you know and, and kudos to them they're they're very uh, persistent and you know they they will they will pitch you their your elevator pitch and then if it's not for you they'll keep pitching you and you know keep trying to convince an investor why they should invest but my experience is that investors are rarely convinced uh, usually they have an idea of what they're looking for or idea that they have in mind and they're just looking for it. And so really as an entrepreneur, your idea is to, to not to convince 20 investors to invest in you, but rather find that one who is looking for someone just like you. And mm. in that sense, it is a numbers game. You got to get in front of as many people until you, it's, you know, until you find that perfect match. Yeah, it's like it's like finding your clients. It's like you don't go after everyone. So it's the same with the investors. Don't 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 go don't go after after everyone. It's interesting because also you have also like so you're a VC, but you also like with Kumo Space, you're a startup funder too. So you play you play in bit in both worlds. <laughs> Do you play, play both sides? <laughs> <laughs> Do you pitch to yourself? Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean I definitely, you know, scrutinizing our deck, but I have to say, you know, my co-founder uh, Yang, who you know we've worked on three businesses and known each other for over a decade. Um one of his his specialties is he is amazing at um, simplifying things. You know, he, he amazing at clar you know clarifying things and and removing things. And um, you know, I think you know it's why Combinator is about to have their demo day. That's the kind of famous big accelerator in, yeah. in the U.S. And um, you know, the the main thing that they do, I would say, is because I you know been looking at a bunch of um, pitches, is that they have a very strong clear design and template for what these pitches look like and all of these founders you know whether their technology is any good or not they have amazing pitches and it's you know a very much a script right and you know mm -hmm. if you run a sales team then you know like stay on script right stop trying to improv and improvise and be unique like find the thing that works and then just you know beat it to death or beat it to death and uh all the white combinator pitches look equally beautiful which makes as an investor makes it quite challenging to figure out which ones um are, are going to be valuable <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i guess so what are you trying to do with uh, akuma space tell me tell me a little bit about that's kind of an interesting part so i had done charge I had to think it was my sixth or sixth year into charge and was very happy just, you know, focusing on investing. And, um, and, you know, usually if I saw a business that had, uh, you know, high margins and, you know, really large TAM and, uh, you know, had a big trend pushing it from behind and, and had, you know, inherent virality and, you know, the potential for a boat, um, you know, those are all things we look for. Uh, in companies we invest in a charge and usually just would give that company money and uh, you know so is you know play a, a supporting role right that's a it's a lot easier to invest than it is to build in terms of the energy expended um, but with with kuma space there was a you know it, some, it personally spoke to me you know the, the mission um, of providing 
a new form of interaction online where people could uh, interact more authentically. You know, th that's if you look at all the businesses uh, I've ever started, they all share that theme. And mm. um, that's, I think, what I'm looking for when when I see entrepreneurs. Like, I want to see that founder market fit, that that unique connection that that the founder has to that particular idea where it, it is you know, more than just a business, right? It's some sort of personal calling. And, and I just, I happen to feel that way about, about Kumo space. So, you know, I had, it had been maybe eight or nine years since um, the last company I started. And, and so I sort of started just trying to help my friend with the idea. And then I was angel investing and then I was investing out of the fund and then we were incubating mm. it out of, out of, out of the, and then, you know, we ended up incubating it out of the fund and um, just, could, couldn't help it. Sometimes, you know, when, when you see the thing that you're meant to be doing, you just you yeah. can't help yourself. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the, that's the why the entrepreneurs are who they are. <laughs> they can't help it. They have to do it. It's a calling. It's, being an entrepreneur is a calling. There you go. You just said it again differently, but that's what it is. Yeah. A hundred percent. I tell people who are thinking about starting businesses, I, you know, I say, don't do it unless Literally, you can't help you. You can't do anything else because <laughs> there'll always be easier uh, ways of making money. That, you know, there'll always be less stressful ways of making money. So only do it if there's something else you can do. Yeah. So, so what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think Steve Blank, um, who's a professor at Stanford and also a, a multi-time founder. It, you know, he said a startup is a uh, temporary organization formed in, in pursuit of, um, you know, perceived opportunity, something mm. like that. And so I guess uh, an entrepreneur is uh, the person running, running that, uh, that uh, experiment and, um, you know, trying to guide a, a team of people toward that, dis you know, opportunity discovery. And so it's a, I guess it's a bit like um, kind of like an old school explorer, you know, where where you sort of had a hunch that there was a, you know, a, a uh, what do you call it, a, um, you know, a land of uh, milk and honey over just over the horizon, and you gotta give it. There's that uh, famous quote. It, I can't remember who says it. But I think it's a French guy. It says, you know, if if you want to, um, you know, explore distant lands, you know, don't uh, assemble men. Uh, you know, chop wood and, and uh, build a ship. You know, it teach men to to yearn for the, the vast and open sea. And mm. uh, I feel like, you know, running a company is sort of similar to that. You, you got to get everyone, you know, fully bought in on, on the mission. As a, as a VC slash entrepreneur slash startup founder, whatever we want to describe you, 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 you have quite a, quite a, uh, a specific eye on entrepreneurship and you have seen a lot of decks, you have seen a lot of startup funders, what 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 are the key lessons about success in entrepreneurship? I don't. I mean, that's a, that's a difficult one because I just keep making mistakes. <laughs> you know? Maybe so. Maybe the key lesson is, um, you know, re resilience. You know, I I think um, I don't know. I just this is top top of mind because um, my you know, girlfriend was, is also a, a VC and she was talking to her friend who's, um, you know, an entrepreneur and, you know, had a, you know, difficult founder breakup. And, um, mm. 
you know, it, it's it's been really hard for this founder to to recover from that. And, uh, you know, I fully understand. I mean, you know, you take some really hard hits as an entrepreneur. You know, I think a founder breakup is one of the worst you, you could, you know, you can experience. And, you know, it's hard for other people to understand this, but sometimes it takes years for people to, to get over these things. You know, they, they've worked, you know, for multiple, they poured themselves into something for years and then all of a sudden, you know, their, their partner, you know, leaves them and, and then they're, um, you know, they t- it takes half of the equity, you know, away. And, you know, it's hard. It's, it's like, the, you know, the kid arguing over the kid. And, and yeah. so I think um, one of the, successful things i've seen is you know these multi-time founders they they you know they fail fast you hear that a lot right but what you don't hear people talk about is like they have they have to they have to be resilient they have to recover quickly you know mentally from that failure and then you know quickly get back the the you know courage and just you know self self-esteem to to try again right you can't mm. take that failure as like you know a personal personally you can't take it as a i am a failure because you're never going to start you know in the next billion dollar company with that attitude right you have to come yeah. into it you know with the you know with your head up high and and with the belief that like you know you you're the next you could be the next elon musk and so i you know that's a tough thing if you just have keep you know if you fail multiple times which is kind of inevitable on that path so um, I, you know, I'll, I'll, there's many, there's no secret for success here, but one thing I will highlight is, uh, you know, re- resilience. You talk, you talk about self-esteem, uh, also the ability to, the, the ability to, to find self-esteem. This is the first time I hear someone saying it. I've heard, I've heard the word like, uh, resist, resilience before. What do you think is so important? Let's just talk about for fundraising. So, you know, again, we've looked at a bunch of these kind of Y Combinator companies and, um, that you know even though every pitch uh is the same in the sense that it's uh you know the same script they're all playing videos all they're all the slides have very little words and you know all big graphics and big block lettering um the 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 smooth the uh presentation is is each different and, and it varies mm-hmm. based on the the skill of the person doing it and so um you know some people are kind of robotic about it. You can tell they're following a script, whereas other people can can follow the script but doing it in a, in a very natural way and in a kind of a way that um, you know, assumes that it's that the person giving the pitch is speaking the same language as the investor, and mm-hmm. um, you know that that assumes a level of peerness, you know. Hey, you know, I'm sharing my business with you and we're going to have a dialogue about it. And, you know, maybe you're not going to invest, maybe you are, but at the end of the day, like we have kind of this peer relationship and that sort of, you know, confidence uh, is, I think, you know, part of the gloss that investors gravitate toward and, um, you know, whether rightly or wrongly, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily map to the ability to build a business. It does, however, map to the ability to fundraise for a business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's in part because, um, you know, ultimately you as the founder are going to know your business way better than any investor, or at least you should. And so a lot of times investors know less and they're really just kind of scrutinizing your they're scrutinizing your confidence right they're basically looking for any missteps or 
uncertainty that you are showing. And if you show that, then they aren't going to have confidence. And, and so, um, you know, having self-confidence and belief is really important in that sense, because uh, the, op- you know, investors are going to train on anything less than that. And it's going to cost you the fundraise. If I read between the line, uh, don't come up, don't, don't come up with your big ego because you won't get funded like this. Well, I'm saying that you need to believe in yourself, actually. If you don't mm-hmm. believe in what you're doing, you're never going to get an investor to believe what you're doing. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think the flip side of that is now don't be dogmatic and or arrogant. And if an investor asks you a question that like you don't have an honest answer for or, you know, don't bullshit through it or mm-hmm. or or ignore it, like that's also not going to work. But I think that, you know, uh you have to have like confidence in what you're you know what you're doing and that and that will um, reassure potential investors yeah it makes sense um if if you uh if you look at all the things you have accomplished so far is there anything that you have you would have done differently i'm fortunate i have very few regrets i think i could probably uh most of my regrets are on a hand you know on my i can keep on one hand um honestly most of them are just not jumping more at opportunities but i uh, had the chance to you know one example is um my good friend from college uh she you know really amazing person she was a trader and then she went and trade uh, traveled the world for a year and then she came back and she started doing these uh, trips um basically taking yuppies from the city on like outing trips, like camping and hiking and canoeing and things like mm. that. And she, she asked me, Hey, do you want to, you know, come do this business with me? And I remember at the time thinking, Oh, you know, that's, you know, I love, I love my friend Maya, but you know, that's not going to scale. And, you know, sure enough, she uh, scaled it up and then sold, sold the business. And, you know, since then she's actually gone on and, you know, she was, head of people at Stripe and then head of uh, M&A and uh, mm. investing and, you know, has a, is like literally clearly like a like top 0.1% caliber person. And, uh, you know, I had faith in the, and, and so, you know, not just taking the plunge when someone truly, you know, you had the opportunity to, to work with someone that's truly amazing. Um, I would say that that's definitely a regret. Why did you, didn't you uh, go with her? young people in particular sometimes get caught up in the in the details and are sort of rigid about um they, they, they i think they underestimate the like the the uncertainty and the importance of who you're working with and overestimate kind of like some you know theory about what will or will what work and you know the reality is like if you have just absolutely amazing people then good things come from that <laughs> yeah Last time we, the first time we talked, uh, you were in Costa Rica, I think, uh, if I remember, if I remember well, or somewhere where there was like a fantastic view. Today, today you are, today you are in New York. You, you travel, you travel quite a lot, and I know for the conversation that we have, we've had before that you know integrating work and life together is really important for you. Can you explain it a bit? Why is that? And what, what, how you, you know, arrange your life around work or arrange work around life? Uh, yeah, this is um, a topic very near and dear to me because yeah. uh, I have lots of things I like to do. And so how do you do lots of things and, and actually still get anything done? And and so my, my personal theory is that you could 
do a lot of things as long as they all reinforce each other. So every time you do one thing, it pushes along everything. If you, if if everything's moving in opposite, you know, different directions, and you don't get leverage uh, from doing one on the others, then you don't you don't go anywhere, right? You kind of mm -hmm. spin in circles. And so, you know, Kumo space that the startup, um, you know, that Yang and I have been building is, you know, that's kind of the one of the core ethos is behind it is that, uh, you know, you don't have to choose between, um, you know, we think there's this kind of false dichotomy where it's like, okay, either, you know, you can return to the office and, you know, you get the benefits of the office, you get to connect with your coworkers and, you know, be productive, quote unquote. And, but then you have to commute, uh, you know, an hour to work each way and you can't get, you know, you, you have to, sit there and do FaceTime and, you know, you have to do all this stupid stuff with this like corporate rituals. Um, or the alternative is you can work from home and then you can, you know, it's great. You have the flexibility and you have the freedom and um, you don't, you know, you don't have to commute and you can work from anywhere, but you don't actually, you can't actually, you know, have that real office culture and, you know, mm. be productive and uh, you know, you, you, your boss can't, you know, you're not working as hard according to your boss. Right. And so we, we think that's like, kind of a false dichotomy and and really there's kind of a third way where you can um you know be just as productive you know if not more productive remote because you don't have to you know commute but you can be in an environment that is really productive and also conducive to building you know real human relationships so you can build that culture you can build that trust and you can really you know collaborate effectively but then you can do that with the freedom of that's provided by you know today's technology and you can you know do it at home and you can spend time with your kids and you mm. can make them breakfast or drop them off at school or, um, you know, tuck them in at night. And, you know, you can, if you're single and maybe you like to surf, maybe you can, you know, do all of that from Costa Rica and, you know, build a, build a company, um, you know, while sitting next to a surf break. And so, you know, I think in that sense, like Kimo space is, again, representative of what I want the world to be like in a place where you don't have to compromise on, uh, you know, having your cake and eating it too, in terms of, you know, being productive and also living the life you want to live. It's it's interesting. I agree. I agree with you. But for entrepreneurs, it's, it's so hard because, you know, work, 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 work all, all the time that they don't spend enough. They have difficulty to find this work-life balance that you are, that you're talking about. So, so what, what do you do? What, you know, do you, do you have any specific tips that you can give? I don't know. Work-life balance. Like this is a hot topic in remote work world. Um, you know, Oh, we don't have boundaries uh, anymore. And, you know, we used to go into the office and you know, then leave the office and left work in the office. And um, I think this conversation is kind of overblown. And, and, and I actually mm. think it's about, like honestly if you worked a professional you know high like you know an upwardly mobile job in the past 20 years you, you know you haven't left work at home i mean when i worked at the investment bank in 2004 i had a blackberry and you know there's emailing me when i was uh, paging me when i wasn't uh, you know at work right and and I, so I, I don't think for 20 years you've left work at the office at 5 p.m if you were professionally ambitious mm. um and so i don't think that nowadays you know with remote work people are talking how they're working all different hours and times to the day you know i 
I, my thing is that it's just give people more freedom and flexibility. So I think the future is less like, oh, we have really hard boundaries from nine to five, but rather we have more, more integrated. And you know, yeah, maybe we do work a little bit at 9 p.m. before we go to bed, but that's because we went out to dinner with our you know friends from seven to nine, or you know maybe we can get up and go surfing before we start work at, at eight, eight o'clock. And so um, I think of, the future is more, you know, integration. Now that said, you know, one nice thing about Kumo space and, you know, our company is that a lot of people who use it, it's, a, you know, it's a virtual office product, right? So remote teams all signed to Kumo space every morning, they come in and they pile into office. If you went to our office uh, at Kumo space right now, you would, it's nine o'clock at nine 30, you would see a bunch of folks, you know, piling in and, uh, you know, eventually by 10, we'd have 30 people in there working in the office. And, uh, you know, in that same extent, people are there when they're working and, you know, we're synchronous and we can connect with each other. And then at the end of the day, you know, 6, 7 p.m., people start filing out. I was there working late last night with my co-founder and there was, you know, a handful of people still working there. And so, you know, I do think that products like Kumo Space make it a little easier to to have those, you know, boundaries. Um, but ultimately, I, I think it's better just to have the flexibility to work when you, you know, when you need to work and uh, not ha- and be where you want to be when you you know the rest of the time but it 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 requires that you give yourself the permission to be flexible yeah i mean that's the one thing that is just all the literature about you know work uh, says is that people want flexibility they want uh, geographical flexibility and and they want temporal you know, flexibility. And, you know, I look, it's, it's not perfect. You can't have everything you want. You know, if you, if your whole team's working on Eastern standard time and you want to work on Tokyo time, I mean, it's going to be challenging because yeah. there's one thing we know, which is, um, you know, people talk about this, Oh, we're going to go async. Everything is async. And I, and I think, yeah, a lot of work can be done asynchronously, but there's a bunch of research that shows that if, if you want to collaborate, you need to be synchronous to collaborate, right? Because if you think about right. what collaboration is, it's like, it's the it's the sort of gestalt product of the two of us kind of riffing off each other, right? So you can't just write a document and then I comment on it today and then you read my comments tomorrow and then you make more comments. That That is a, it's not just a difference in, um, uh, what do they call it? It's a difference in kind from us sitting there, you know, looking at a whiteboard together and kind of having, you know, mixing ideas and then, you know, something totally different comes out of that. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I think, you know, everyone, you can't just have perfect asynchronous, you know, work. You, you need to find some time to, to really like be there together with, with your team. So, you know, which is all to say that like, yeah, you can't have everything you want but you can have anything you want <laughs> <laughs> all right um one last question for you uh before we uh, wrap up this conversation um what would be the one recommendation that you would give to other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs or startup funders trying to think of something not not banal but honestly it just comes down to surrounding yourself with the right people <laughs> mm. and everything everything starts there you know i think a lot of the mistakes i've made were not thinking highly enough of myself to aim for the stars when you know seeking out people to work with and uh you know every time it's worked it's when i've like really pushed to recruit and 
and you know join and be joined by you know the absolute like best people that I was most excited to work with and you know where I've had challenges or where I kind of settle you know settled for less and uh so yeah you know I think ho- hold out for the right person and, and it doesn't mean just like asking them I think you know if you really want to get the best people like you actually got to just get started yourself and um you know, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, everyone looking for technical co-founder, you know, you can say, hey, I've got this great idea. If you build it for me, we'll be rich. Uh, that's not a very good pitch. But if you say, hey, I'm building, you know, this billion dollar company, you know, it's happening one way or not, but you, you know, you should get involved. That's a much, that's a much better pitch. And so, uh, yeah, get, get the best people, but don't don't wait for them. Just uh, get started. Amazing. Well, thank you very much, Brett, for that conversation. One more question. How can people contact you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're looking for a you know, virtual office for your remote or hybrid team, hit me up. It's uh, Brett, B-R-E-T-T at kumospace.com. And uh, if you're you know, looking for raising early stage funding, then you know, probably best place is uh, hit me up on Twitter. It's uh, Brett. B-R-E-T-T-1-2-1-1, uh, or, you know, just um, find me on LinkedIn. Excellent. Again, thank you for your time, Brett. Uh, thank you, Lauren. It's a pleasure being here. And thank you for listening. Interviews Cracking the Entrepreneurship Code is available on all your favorite podcast platforms. So do yourself a favor and subscribe now so you don't miss any episodes. See you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>